Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Manchester campus. I think that the truth of God's Word that I have for you tonight, that He gave me, applies whether or not you are married, thinking about marriage, or you're way too young to be married. Because the truth is, is that the holiness part of the marriage relationship, there is truth that you can glean about how to not only treat your future spouse, but about how to treat young ladies and women in general. You with me? So marriage is not intended to make you happy. It's intended to make you holy. But I will guarantee you that if you focus on a holy marriage, you're going to be happy. Because happiness as the world would describe it, is excuse me, is something that is attained by stuff you can see, by stuff you can buy, by stuff you can earn. But the happiness that comes as a result of a holy marriage is from out of this world. And when you're happy because you have a holy marriage, there really is no explanation other than the Sunday school answer of Jesus. The other thing that Jorgen said last week, which I thought was really interesting, was that if you want to weaken the nation, weaken the family, weaken the the marriage. And as I wrote that, scribbled that on my sermon notes, I began to think about that. And I thought, think about the last, just say, 50 years. So 1976. It was the bicentennial of our nation. So start 50 years ago from now and think about the, the decades that went by, the generations that went by, the 70s <laughs> and the revolutions that happened in the 70s. And then into the 80s where you had the very, um, well, let's, that's where the yuppies came from. And it was a very uh, affluent time, I guess. The economy was doing really well. People were just buying and selling and Don Johnson and Miami Vice, and you had all sorts of things. I was not born in the 80s. I was a little bit before that. I was born the year before in 19... I was born in 75. So by the time the 80s rolled around, a lot of men were like, you know what? It's the 80s. See you later. Kids, what kids? I'm out of here. You had a lot of that going on. People pursuing their own uh, their own desires and really just filling up in their flesh with the things that they want to do. Not necessarily church, but um, culturally. And as a result of that, in the 90s, that's when we had this overwhelming, that's when grunge came around. All these angry teenagers who were angry at authority, I, that really hasn't changed, I think, but you had angry at authority, you had uh, grunge music, kids who were just tired of relationships because they began to become broken relationships. And the movie that I have in mind, if you remember, I don't even know if it was the first or second Terminator, but John Connor when he was a little kid, I just have this image of in my mind where he's talking to, I think, the guy that his mom was married to and just disrespect, and it was, you're not my dad sort of thing, and just went off on that motorcycle. And that is the sort of thing that flowed out of that. And then you have Generation Y and the Millennials. And, uh, you know, since, you know, maybe the mid-2000s, even to now, you can see the redefinition of family. You can see that the world and culture is trying very hard to redefine what marriage is and what family is. And you can see the effect that it's having on the world around us. And you can see the, almost like that, uh, that, 
the hands around the throat of the church to try to, you know, push us into this corner. But what I'd like to say is this. Marriage is and will always be a covenantal relationship. It will always be a, a relationship of an oath and a vow that we take as people to join together with somebody in a covenant relationship, not a contract, because in a covenant, one side is never, ever complete or fulfilled. And the cool thing of that is because we are engaged, if you could sit here, stand here, roll here, sleep here, and raise your hand and say, the Lord Jesus is my Savior, then you know what a covenant relationship is all about. The Lord Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He never gives up on you. He never ends his part of the deal. So marriages, holy marriages, is all about the church, I think, taking back ground from the enemy. I think that what God desires to do is to speak first to the men and help us, really, in some cases, maybe, you know, take a two-by-four to the side of the head, to bring us to this place where we understand the importance, the seriousness, but all the, I mean, I don't want this to be like, oh gosh, marriage was so much better <laughs> before tonight. But there is this component of holiness that is designed at helping us take back marriage from the enemy. Because why? Because the scripture says, and we're going to jump into the scripture in a second, that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. That it's a mystery of this love relationship that we are engaged in with Christ our Savior. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's uh, analog or digital, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. All right, Ephesians 5, starting verse 25. Excuse me, I just said Ephesians 5 and expect you to know where I was going. You might. All right, Ephesians 5, 25. I'm just going to start reading. For the... <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, what I want to do is, men, young, old, married, unmarried, I want you to read through some of this with me. We'll start in verse 25, and if you want, just do your best if you don't have a Bible, because I... We don't have the scripture to put on the screen, and I apologize. So just repeat this with me as best you can. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That, that went much better when I practiced it. <laughs> now, what's important is, I don't know if you're like me, but I've heard that scripture before. I've read that scripture before and said, that is an awesome scripture. But it's really difficult 
to love your wife as Christ loved the church if you don't know how it is that Christ loved the church. That's a natural jump, right? It says, love your, well, how did Christ love the church? Well, what I want to share with you is I want to share three truths or three distinctions, I'll call them, about how Christ loved the church. Now, I will probably forget to say men or Christ, but in this scenario only, I want them to be interchangeable because we're talking about men loving their wives, husbands, excuse me, loving their wives as Christ loved the church. The first truth or distinction, Christ loving the church, is that men must love their wives as servants. The scripture that we read says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why should we love our wives as servants? Well, the last part says to make her holy. Well, how did Jesus give himself up? Well, my favorite portion of the scriptures is uh, Philippians chapter 2. I'm just going to read a little bit for you, and then we'll, we'll jump into that. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That word servant there, when it says that Christ took on the very nature of a servant, in the Greek that word is doulios, and what that means is slave, that Jesus became a slave. Men, don't get nervous. I'm not saying that you need to be a slave, but the cool thing is another um, way to say that word is a bondservant or a bondman. So husbands, you are a bondman. That means you are bound to your wife. The Lord has called you and said, I want you to serve your wives and I want you to be a servant to your wife. I want you to be a slave to your wife. I want you to be a bondman to your wife. You're not stuck to her. This isn't the old ball and chain but you're bonded to her. You're connected to her forever. The Lord would say in there that you are bonded, bound to your wife with your body. And I want to go too, too deep into this, but we know the rampant struggle and trouble that men everywhere seem to have with keeping their bodies for their wives. Now, I'm not looking at anyone here. I'm not talking about you, but let's be honest. Pornography is not new. And it's not something that is just new for us and, oh gosh, where did this come from? I think it's gotten a lot worse and I think it's a lot more prolific. But when the Lord says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her and became a servant and you're, bounded to, and you're bound to your wife, you are first and foremost bound to her with your body. In Hebrews 13.4, this scripture we do have, it says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. This is a stern warning, but I want us to begin to see, I was talking, this is a young lady, by the way, I was talking to a young lady at work the other day, 
I was, there was sort of just three of us having this conversation. And she made the comment about looking but not touching. And I was like, no, I don't even look. And we know that the Lord said that. We know that the Lord took it to that deepest part and said, hey, listen, before you even do, if you look, you've already done. But your body is for each other, right? Scripture says that, says this, that husbands, your body is no longer yours, and wives, your body is no longer yours. Do you know what that means? That means when it comes to spiritual warfare, as Jorgen put it, that <laughs> um, never withhold. Sorry, this makes me... <laughs> <laughs> makes me a bit uncomfortable. I think I'm, I'm 41. I need to be a grown-up about this. <laughs> feel like I'm in high school again. I'm like, oh gosh, we're talking about sex. Um, but this is serious. You know, it's true, right? Never withhold that part of your marriage because you're angry or something didn't go the way you want because the Lord would say, wait a minute, you know, in a, in a servant relationship, your body is no longer yours. So never out of anger or, oh, fine, you didn't do this? Well, I'm not going to do this, if you know what I mean. So wives, there's a, a little thing for you as well, because I think that applies. In fact, I found it so interesting that Jorgen would refer to that as spiritual warfare. Because Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians, said, deny yourselves, but only for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come back together. And he talks about the deceitfulness of sin, and he talks about how we... So we're not outwitted by the enemy. So I thought that was interesting. So it actually does apply. <laughs> now, slavery. If you think about a slave, a slave has no rights. A slave doesn't get to make up its own mind. A slave just does what it's told. But in this relationship, men, husbands, I'm not telling you that you just do what you're told. Because in Philippians 2, if you read through that, what was Jesus' motivation for being coming a slave? It was love, right? His motivation for giving up himself and taking on the very nature of a slave, of a servant, is because he loves you and he loves me. So that's what the Lord is saying. And becoming a servant to your wife, it's about humility. It's about service. Now, we could spend, I think, three days talking about what this looks like. I'm sorry for the poll. I'm trying to... <laughs> we could talk for days about what this means. It could be something as simple as Maybe there is a habit that your wife has, and I'm going to say this, but it's not Annie's habit. I'm just thinking of simple things. <laughs> what if your wife always seems to leave zero gas in the car? So when you get in the car, you're like, I can't even get out of the driveway with... Yeah, it's probably more than men, but hey, just as an example, <laughs> or always leaves the seat up, or something very simple like that. Well, the servant men the servant part of this relationship would say that instead of complaining about the things that your wife does that drives you crazy, you, you get in that car, and when you notice that gas empty, you say, you know what, I am going to bless my wife. I am going to go get that gas. Or maybe, I don't know, if gals, women, uh, wives, if you're the regular grocery shopper, men, husbands, maybe offer to go grocery shopping. Dang it, now I just convicted myself because I hate grocery shopping. <laughs> or it could be something much bigger, much larger. Take, think about that idea. Jesus lowered himself. He became like a slave, a servant for you and I. So think about your relationship with your wife. What would it mean for you? This is the cool thing about God's word is that there's truth. But then there's the personal application part of this. 
something as simple as filling the car up with gas, or it could be something as much bigger. It could be, this is true for me, that whenever the holidays come around, there's always this sort of to-do about whose house are we going to go to and how are we going to fit it all in. I like to be with my family. She likes to be with her family. She has a great, strong relationship with her family, and there's always this tension. What I feel like God said to me is that in serving my wife, I need to let it not matter. And if she wants to go see her parents, if it's one day or every day, then it doesn't matter that in serving my wife, I shouldn't be creating tension or or feeding the tension, if you will. But serving your wife, men, husbands, does not mean shirking your duties either. Well, I'm supposed to serve. I'm supposed to be your servant. It doesn't mean backing out of your responsibilities. Have you ever seen that where there is, there, uh, there's a, a couple and the, because of the dynamics of the relationship, it just gets to this point where the guy is just really, not weaselly, that's not, but you know what I mean? He's really soft and you could tell that he just does whatever his wife says and she's just outspoken and strong. And he just, yes, dear, yes, dear, and does whatever she says because he doesn't want to stir anything up or he doesn't want to uh, do the manly thing. That's not serving your wife. Jesus said this, though, that even the Son of Man did not come to serve. Excuse me, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? Jesus said this to the disciples when they are arguing about who is the greatest. He said, you know that the Gentiles lord their authority over over each other. Not so with you. So men serving your wives is not about giving up on your duties and just saying, well, you do it, I'm just serving. But it's also not about lording your authority over your wife. You know, what's cool is that Jesus, just before he went to the garden to pray and to sweat blood, it says that they had their meal and it says, then Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. And you know what he did? He washed the disciples' feet. What a cool picture of what it means to show the full extent to your wife by washing her feet, whether it's literally, because in the, in the summertime, if you wear flip-flops all the time, then you have dirty feet, <laughs> or if it's figuratively. Men, the truth is, is that God has set you apart to lead your home. So in serving your wife, it's taking full responsibility while sharing the authority. It's not happy wife, happy life. Frankly, I really hate that phrase because when it's said, it's said in jest, but when people say it, I think they imply that I just do whatever makes her happy and then I'm happy. And I don't like it because I think it's, it's not the complete truth. It's not the right way to go about it. But how and when to serve your wife, what's too much, what's too little, it's difficult to know without this next part. And the second thing is, is that men or Christ love the church as priest. In Ephesians 5 that we were reading, it says this, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How many of you are familiar with Jackie Chan's brother Francis? 
Francis Chan. Just kidding, it wasn't Jackie Chan's brother. Francis Chan wrote that cool book called Crazy Love, all about the significance of this love relationship that we have with God. Sorry, that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Jackie Chan. <laughs> Kata. Well, him and his wife wrote this book on marriage called You and Me Forever, Marriage in Light of Eternity. If my pacing makes you nervous, good. And I gave this book to some newlyweds. And I downloaded this book and I began to read it. This, husbands, wives, I encourage you, because this isn't just about one or the other. This is about your marriage. I encourage you to read that. I only read one chapter because I didn't want their amazing book to influence what I was going to say, not because I think it would be bad, but I wanted what I was going to share tonight to be genuine and from me to God. But this book, it was a wow for me because what it does is it speaks to the eternal significance of your marriage, that it's not just an earthly relationship because you will get to a point where you're going to be before God as his children. And then what? Now, the cool thing is, is that this book, what they did is they self-published this book so that when you purchase this book, 100% of what you pay for that book goes to support his missionary friend. They don't keep any of it for themselves. There's no publisher involved. But you know what else is really cool? Is I went on the Google Play Store and downloaded this book for free. And I'm pretty sure it's the whole book. And I'm excited about that because Christ as priest. We know that he is said to be the high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We know that we are called to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and he loved the church as a priest. The priest was the go-between between God and man. He was the one who stood in the gap. He was the one who offered the sacrifice for the entire nation. And you guys know, you gals know the story that if the high priest himself was not clean, boom, dead. That's why they wore the bells on the bottom of their, of their cloak. And so behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies, you hear that thump, you pull him out with the rope that was tied to his foot. Man, I would be dead already. So that is how Jesus serves the church. That is how Jesus loved the church. He is, Scripture says, one mediator between God and man. Scripture says that he lives to intercede for us. Right now, you might be wrestling with something. Right now, you might be struggling with something. Right now, there might be a myriad of things. You might be struggling with sin. You might just be hung up on something. Well, right now, Jesus, right at this very moment, surrounded by myriads of angels who worship God, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for you. Interceding. That means that because he sits to the right of the Father, not only is it a privileged position, but he is right near the ear of the Father. And you can be sure that in the court of heaven, the Son is heard. Because we read that above all other names, his name. There's power in his name. Now, husbands and young men, men, why this is significant for us is Jesus has called us to be the priests of our home. He has called us to love our wives as priests. And what that means is right this. 
washing her with the water of the word to make her holy. Men, you should be in the habit of praying for your wives. You should be in the habit of, as you're pouring through scripture, that you're praying scripture over your wife. When your wife is sharing something, when a a young lady, somebody is sharing a problem with you who is a female, you should be listening and you should be saying, what of your truth, God, can I say to this person that will wash her with the water of the word? Men, the other thing that the priest does, the high priest, if you will, you lead in this. Many times, many times, the woman is the one who is the more spiritual. And that should not be. Men, God has called us to lead. Weaken the marriage, weaken the family, weaken the church. So when there's an opportunity to serve, now let me back up a second. It is not my place to convict you, and it is certainly not my place to condemn you. Nor will the Lord condemn you. So if you feel condemnation, that is not of the Lord. I think this is an, uh, uh, an important point to make, but I don't want you to feel like I'm saying, hey, you, 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 because guess what? <laughs> right here. But the truth is, men, that when there's an opportunity to serve, we should be the first to sign up. Not, hey, honey, what do you think? Do you think we should do this? You know, I don't really. You know, you should be the first person to know whether or not it's time to serve. When it's time to give, men, you should be leading in the giving. And I am way guilty of this because I have an amazing, organizationally gifted, administratively gifted wife. So I really, really just, oh, yeah, we're supposed to tithe. And she's already got the check written. And to me, I'm like, oh, man, Lord, I shouldn't do that. I don't want to do that. Let me just read this off my notes because I I thought it was pretty cool. Men, as priests, we are set apart by God. The priest was set apart, right? So we are set apart by God to represent his people, in this case your wife, for the purpose of receiving the heavenly promise. Our marriages are intended to reflect the relationship that we have with Christ the divine relationship that we have. When we are seeking holy marriages, we are seeking to love our wives as priests. We have been set apart to represent the Lord for the purpose of receiving the heavenly promise. And what that means, that taking back of this thing we call marriage, this amazing thing we call marriage, that means that heavenly promise is not only holy marriages, but think of the effect that that will have on the people in your neighborhood. Who are the people in your neighborhood? And your, our schools even, as the effect that it has on our children, in our church, and the cities in which we find ourselves. <laughs> are you familiar with that? Uh, maybe you're not, but I'll share it with you. That, have you ever seen that Norman Rockwell painting where the mom and the kids are leaving for church and they're all dressed in their Sunday best and the dad is sitting in the chair and he's got the paper, he's sort of slunk down in his chair with the paper covering his face. Men, we need to do something better. We need to do way better than that. The Lord is calling us to lead in the things uh, here at church. We should, again, first to serve, first to give. You should be the loudest ones in worship. It's our responsibility, men, to lead in this. You should have a greater 
journaling and, and devotion time to Christ, then your wife does. Yes, of course, women, we want that for you, and you should have that. But men, you ought to have just the, the most consistent, amazing times, and we need to lead in that. Another book I'll plug for you. This is an older one. How many of you have ever heard of Stormy? I think her name is Stormy. Stormy the Martian. And that's not really her name. <laughs> but she wrote a ton of cool books about the power of a praying dot, dot, dot. Well, her husband got involved and wrote The Power of a Praying Husband. And it is a phenomenal book because, well, let's face it, women, it's, <laughs> I was almost saying, women, you need a lot of prayer, but that's not what I meant. There's a lot of things you don't think about in a woman's life that, you know, as guys, we don't think about that. But our ladies need a lot of prayer. All right, last thing for you. So, loving your wife as a servant, loving your wife as a priest, and then the last thing, again, these cannot be easy without this understanding right here. Loving your wife as king. Now, we've never had a, a Grace Capital stoning, so ladies, I don't want you to make me the first. Love your wives as king. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. When the Lord shared that with me, he drew me right to the example of David in Second Kings. Or is it Samuel? Excuse me. Second Samuel 6, 17 and 19. This is when David is bringing the ark of God into Jerusalem the second time after he figured out, wait a minute, it's with poles, not with a cart. And as he is just in complete and exuberant joy because here comes God into the nation. Here, God, you're going to be with us. This is amazing. This is awesome. It says... Anyway. It says that David, once he was done, once the ark was set in place, that he turns to the people and he blesses them. And he gives them gifts. And then it says he went home to bless his family. So men, when I say that you are to love your wife as king, I certainly don't mean that you just, you know, sit on your throne and, yes, you may enter, you know. <laughs> like in, uh, was it... Uh, the, the vegetable, Esther, where you, you don't come before me unless you're called. Not that sort of thing. But you are, taking the example of King David, you are the provider. A good king is a provider. A good king is the caretaker, and he is the protector of his wife. We know David was a good king. We know he provided for the nation. But he was also a great warrior king. And he protected those that he was set apart to love and to serve. So very practically speaking, men as king, and I'll say king because Scripture says that Jesus calls men to be the head of their wives, of women. But not head again like you do what I say, right? You guys know that. You guys know. So very simply, to love your wife as king you need to work. You need to do all that you can, whether you're in transition from a job or it's just not... How many of you have seen Christmas Vacation? Anyone? Just a few of you? <laughs> Come on, you can admit it. Freedom. You know Cousin Eddie. He's the goofy cousin. And 
it's that time of Christmas and uh, Clark's wife comes to him and she says, you know, I have this strange suspicion they don't have anything for their kids. Well, he's waiting, he's holding out for a management position. <laughs> Man, we need to do whatever we can to provide for our women. We should not be holding out for something and while we're at home just loafing around and, and um, sloughing off, I guess I'll say. I hope that's not a bad thing to say. We need to be working hard for our women to provide for them and care for them. Now, I realize in our culture right now, that is kind of difficult to do. My wife works as hard, if not harder, than I do at her job. She is a self-employed woman. She does amazing things with what she... Hmm. Not allergies, just crying. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't work hard. But there have been times where I know that God is like, dude, would you get it together? You need to work hard to serve your wife. You need to work hard. Man, very simply, we need to work. God put us, created us first, put us in the garden to work. There should be no excuse for being lazy. First Timothy 5.8 says this, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty serious word there. Now, this providing for your wife, is all, it's also about knowing her, her needs, not just physical needs, but that love language thing. It's about knowing what wife, makes your wife tick. It's about knowing those needs that she has, the things that really speak love to her. It's placing a priority on her welfare above your own. A good king is very mindful of the people that he has set apart to lead. Now, guys, this, <laughs> I also want to try to reverse some of the stereotypes about marriage and things like that. So being a good king and providing for your wife, being the caretaker of your wife, it also includes romance. All right, if you're married, you have a, a woman that bite. if she likes, I don't know, you know, Sunday mud trucking and stuff like that, nothing wrong with that. But if she doesn't, and then she would prefer... I don't know. Pick. That's why we have rom-coms and everything, right? Because traditionally, they're more appealing to women. You know, in our culture, think about it. Why do you think stuff like, dare I say it, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, all that stuff that you wouldn't just be like, hey, you know, how about, that's not a devotional. But that's why this stuff is popular. That's why, like, romance novels are popular, because not because there's truth necessarily in that, but because I think it speaks to the way that women are created, that they have this need to be nurtured themselves, even though they are great at nurturing. And guys, we do need to romance our wives, because Jesus honestly romances us. Now, it's not relationship romance like we have on earth, but he romances us, right? I can recall before I was a believer, just knowing that God was wooing me, that he was just loving me into this relationship with him. And I am so glad that he did. You know, when you said I do, it doesn't stop right there. You know, when you're courting and you're dating, it's really easy just to be like the greatest guy in the world. It's not supposed to stop right there. So caretakers... A, a husband who is a good king, serves his wife as a king, also provides for her opportunity in ministry. A good king recognizes the gifting and sets that person apart in a way that they are going to flourish and they are going to grow. David was the one, by the way, who established the first worship teams. Why? Because they were good at it. 
So men, you ought to be looking at your wives and saying, what do they do well? And you ought to be shepherding them and, you know, kind of moving them on in a place of ministry that they'll flourish in. Last thing I want to say is this. A good king also protects his wife. A good husband who is serving his wife or loving his wife as a king will protect her. The physical protection is obvious. If someone was trying to physically harm my wife, I would show somebody a different side of me. But protecting your wife is also about what you say to her when you're alone, and it's about what you say to her when you're in public. Have you ever experienced a couple where, you know, there you're just picking away at each other? This happens to me numerous times at work, and I'm trying to help this couple, and you can just hear them sort of jabbing each other, and you're just like, oh, awkward, awkward. Men, we should never do that. I don't care if you have the worst relationship with your wife, and you are just way over on planet zero. It does not matter. It is your calling, it is your responsibility to love your wife as a good king, never demean her in public, never put her down, but you support her and you protect her. That is, you stand up for her physically, you stand up for her emotionally. If she is being berated by somebody else, even her own family, men, we need to stand up and we need to protect our women, we need to protect our wives. And people who are not yet married, long way from marriage. If you hear a young lady who is just being really picked on, really, you should stand up for that young lady. That is what godly men do. In Genesis chapter 2, which is something Jorgen touched on last week, we see that story. We see the picture of Eve being beguiled, being deceived by the serpent. And Adam was right there letting it happen. Well, after God comes and deals with the snake, he says some curious words, and he says this to Eve. He says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, what I discern from the Lord from that is that men, when we don't fulfill the calling that we have as the head of our families, when we don't serve our wives in these ways, we don't love our wives as Christ loved the church. Gals, you are amazing creations. God doesn't, you know, he is so smart. He made you women so amazing. So guys, when we don't do what we're supposed to, women always seem to know what to do. They always seem to get the job done. I've been a part of churches where the guys were not doing their, fulfilling their roles, and the women were right there. They were the ones praying. They were the ones carrying this church. But it's not meant to be that way. That's why God comes and he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Because for women, right before the scripture that says husbands love your wives, it says women, what? Submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, yes, submit to your husbands. And this is about those vows. Why should you submit to your husbands? Because your men have been set apart by God to lead. And what that means is that they will be held accountable for how they lead. So very simply, women, let your men lead. you got to get out of the way and let them lead. But men, you will be held accountable for how you lead. So lead well. One of my favoriteest marriages, other than 
William and Kate a kingly wedding. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? How annoying that was every day, William and Kate, and then it was the royal baby. It's like, okay, you know, marriage and family is not something new, guys. I'm just kidding. One of my favoriteest marriages was the marriage between Ruth and Boaz. And I love, I love, love, love that whole story because you have Ruth who gave up everything that she knew to stay with her mother-in-law. Weird, I know. (laughs) But I believe I have a wonderful mother-in-law. I do. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. When she made the statement, your God will be my God, I believe that God transferred something to her. Because remember, she was a Moabite, not an Israelite. But when she said, your God will be my God, I believe what the Lord did is transferred to her the advantages of being an Israelite. So here she shows up with her mother-in-law. You guys know the story, but I'm going to tell it because I love it. And even before they were married, you you have Boaz doing these things. Saw her out in the field provided for her, said to the, peop- the other people gleaning in the field, don't embarrass her, even though she is picking from the wrong place. Don't make her feel like a weirdo. But leave extra behind so she wasn't humiliated, so she wasn't embarrassed. And then even when she does something that was a little risque at the time and shows up at the threshing floor and is laying on his feet, I don't get that. <laughs> Maybe it's that whole give the sandal to make an arrangement sort of thing. He says, wow, how you've blessed me. That you didn't chase after the younger dudes. You are here with me. Man, this is amazing. And then he gives her more food. I don't know. Ladies, do you like food gifts? <laughs> and as she, and then you guys know. They get married. And he continues. And what is the cool part of that marriage? Is that then from this couple comes King David, and by obviously on down the line comes the Lord Jesus. And, and Boaz was such an amazing guy that he became a pillar, literally. Because when, when Samuel, or excuse me, Solomon set up the temple, one of the pillars was called Boaz. How cool is that? Well, here's what we're going to do. It's a bit of an unorthodox night because there's you know, no music or anything. But I'd like to pray, if you'll pray with me. And I know Jorgen prayed for you and and for those that were here, but I'm going to make myself available. Maybe we'll turn the music on after I pray. And if you want some more prayer for anything specific, feel free to come up and I'd love to pray with you. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you and praise you that the idea of marriage, the idea of intimate, close, amazing relationships was not only your idea, but it's because of the relationship that not only do you share with your Son and with the Holy Spirit, but you gave us through your death on the cross. Father, I first and foremost pray for the marriages that are represented in this room and for our church and for your church. Lord, I pray for myself and all the other husbands that you would help us to own what we need to own from this, that, God, you would help us to love our wives as you love the church that you would make up where we are lacking. 
Father, I pray for a release of your Holy Spirit in marriages, that there would be a taking back of territory that the enemy thinks is his. Lord, you gave me the word, let us not call something dead that you have died to redeem and you have died to reconcile. Father, would you do amazing things in our marriages and in the marriages of our church? Father, I pray just again for us men that you would fill us with your love for our wives that our marriages would be holy and that they would be what they were intended to be, which is Christ and the church, this, this amazing just reflection of the mystery of your love. Father, I do pray for brokenness. I pray for uh, those who might be here or in your church where there might be brokenness. Father, your love is amazing and your, your love conquers all things. So for those that find themselves in a place of brokenness, would you just pour out your mercy and grace? Would you pour out your, uh, your just amazing love and your comfort and your hope to them? And Lord, we just wait in expectation for the fulfillment of these things when you come again. But also, God, let us wait in eager expectation as we begin to live out this holy life in our marriages. And we thank you and praise you for this in your name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 